Have you ever been the recipient of what has been called a random act of kindness? <laughs> Not the random acts of uh, wrath, but uh, of kindness. Well, recently we were at Starbucks in line, uh, drive through, Lodi. And I'm ashamed to say I was a little bit impatient because the person ahead of us was taking a little extra time than, you know, they should have, it seemed like. And, uh, but, you know, being the man of God that I am, I just, uh, you know, sucked it up and uh, got up to the window and uh, lo and behold, the lady had paid for our Starbucks. And uh, we ordered a nice little, we didn't know until we ordered, but after we ordered, the lady said, just wanted you to know that the lady ahead of you paid for yours. And uh, boy, I just made my day. We zoomed out of there. I thought, oh, I'm going to go say, I'm sorry to that lady for my bad attitude. No, I want to say thank you for, uh, and didn't, by that time, this was a lady, and as far as, I think I remember, it was a black pickup truck. So if it's you in this building, I want to say thank you. I love you, and uh, (laughs) forgive me for all the bad things I thought about impatience, and (laughs) God does that to me quite often. But whatever her motive was, here's what I can tell you the result of her giving. Now, she may or may not have known what she really did. But let me tell you what really happened at that moment. And I base this on Matthew 10 and verse 41, where God says that anybody who gives to a man of God, a prophet is the King James word, it says that if you receive and bless a prophet, then God will give you a prophet's reward. Now, what she didn't know was that at that moment, she put a blessing on her money. She drove off, I'm sure feeling good about an act of kindness, which she should. But what she didn't know was that she put a blessing, a favor on her money. Somehow, way, she just was motivated to give. Now, my point this morning is this. All money has a spirit on it. Money submitted to God and His purposes, whether they be for personal expenses or not, but all money given to God and for His purposes has the Holy Spirit on it. Money not submitted to God has what the Bible calls the spirit of mammon on it. The spirit of mammon. It's a demonic spirit. And as such, it delivers nothing, and in fact, as Milt said so wisely, it has a curse attached to it. And so, uh, this morning, we want to talk about overcoming that spirit that's behind the love of mammon. And so, this morning, I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants us in this passage. There have been two or three confirmations in my spirit this week, and uh, so... When the Lord tells me that, then you need to listen. And I hope that you will pay close attention this morning. Let's bow our heads. Father, please, oh God, I thank you for the blessed privilege, the confirmations in my spirit, the delight, Lord, in digging, and the overwhelming 
sense of the Holy Spirit that you've given me even this morning. Thank you. It's a blessed privilege. Thank you for this precious person, whoever they were, if they're even in here this morning, Lord. Thank you. And I do pray that, Lord, your favor will manifest on their resources. And these, they're here this morning as well as they commit to you. In Christ's name, amen. The spirit of mammon. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 16, please. And did you see that big ugly? Go back to the, yeah, look at that guy. That is one ugly dude. And we chose that picture on purpose. And uh, Beth, uh, who's recovering this morning uh, uh, from uh, oral surgery, but uh, we picked that on purpose because it gives a sense of what's behind that greed monster. It kind of has a satanic look to it. All right, Luke chapter 16. Now, I'm just going to summarize verses 1 through 8, if you'll allow me. You can read it at your own uh, time, but uh, for sake of what we need to accomplish this morning, uh, let me just kind of summarize this parable. Jesus uh, is talking to some religious people, not true religion, but a false religion, people who are kind of stuck on themselves. And he said, a very wealthy man has, uh, hires a financial manager, good plan really for anybody that has much means at all. He, fires a fin- or he um, hires a financial manager. And uh, the scriptural term is a steward. So he gets a man who's a manager and calls him a steward. Turns out, however, the guy is basically a crook. I mean, he is misspending his master's money. He is using it for personal things, and uh, he gets caught and gets called on the carpet. The master comes to him and says, you're out of here. And in the uh, good uh, way that uh, famous uh, reality TV, you're fired. He's out of there. The steward uh, says to himself, look, if I'm fired, this is, this is bad. I'm used to a certain lifestyle, and I don't dig. I just don't dig. And uh, I'm not good with shovels. Uh, it's a lot of hard work. It'd be beneath me. I'm lazy. Uh, whatever. He said, I can't beg. Whatever the case, he said, I just don't do that. So he hatches a plan. I know what I'll do. I will get each one of my master's debtors that owe money to my master, I will call them in privately without my master knowing, and we'll cut a deal. I'll just make all over them. And so he calls them in. He said, how much do you owe my master? A hundred measures of oil. Okay, write 50. I'll cook the books, and I'll say that it's a hundred. The guy said, really? You'll do that for me? Absolutely. He won't even know the difference. Everybody wins. Master's happy. I'm happy. You're happy. And well, what do I owe you? Oh, nothing, nothing. Yeah, all right, okay. He called another guy. How much do you owe the master? 100 measures a week? Well, right, 50. And we call it, a, call it even. So he, uh, he pads his future, and uh, he gets it all taken care of. Well, the master finds out that his steward does this. He's <clears throat> obviously upset, but in verse 8, in the parable, Jesus has the very strange reaction of the wealthy man. And in verse number eight, you can just look at it if you want to, but at your own time, but he said that the manager did wisely. What? 
You kind of shake your head, you read this passage and say, what? The guy was a crook. How did he do wisely? Well, what he was really meaning by that, and maybe the King James uh, could uh, maybe give a little different flavor here than maybe should be, but what he was saying was that you have done shrewdly. From a business sense, from a worldly sense, you're pretty smart. I mean, uh, what you did was illegal, and what you did was wrong, and you certainly cheated me, but I will say this one thing, you're definitely shrewd, and the reason? You were planning for your future. That's the point, planning for your future. You were taking care of your future by taking care of some stuff today. And now with that in mind, let's read verse 9 together. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends. Take care of this business of the mammon unrighteousness, that when you fail or when you die, you, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Now, Jesus did not just throw words around without meaning. He often spoke about riches. He often spoke about money. But in this passage and in several others in the New Testament, he used the word mammon. Now, a, just a surface study of this would indicate that the word mammon means money or riches or profit. But by digging a little further, we realize that he was referring to more than just riches. He was referring to a false god that everybody in that day knew about. And that was the Syrian god of riches. Mamonas is the uh, Greek saying of that. It was a god that actually came from the Babylonian culture. Now, in this, Jesus is teaching four key principles about stewardship. And let's go to those. Verse number nine, the first thing he says is that the riches of mammon are means. They're not an end in themselves. They're only a vehicle. Verse nine, I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of mammon. You got to think about what you do with this uh, money you have, that when you fail, die, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Mammon has its roots in Babylonian history. Babylon came from the Tower of Babel. Now, the Tower of Babel was a ziggurat. If you know anything about architecture, it basically looks like a pyramid. There's a building in Sacramento downtown that's a ziggurat. There, as you're going north on the left side by the big bridge, it's done in a ziggurat style, kind of a, a stair-step look. But it was more than a tower, more than a pyramid, more than a structure. It was a system. It was a mindset. The mindset, secularism. Nobody needs God. If you want religion, fine, but you don't need it because you don't really need God. We can build a structure that, in a sense, replaces God, reaches to the heavens. Now, when the spirit of mammon influences us, it is the same as us for saying we don't need God as long as we have money. It is a prideful spirit. It is an arrogant spirit that says, I can replace God with money. Money gives me everything God does. It gives me happiness, gives me joy, significance, meaning in life. And Jesus said about that, he said, you better 
realize that mammon is not an end, but it is a means to an end. Money is not meant for this present life only. We bless our personal future by making good use of our personal possessions. And notice what God says, when you fail, it'll be there for you. Now, businesses sometimes fail. Most small businesses fail. I always cringe when somebody says, I'm going to start a business. I'm always thinking, boy, you better have a good business plan because the, the fact is the, it's, it's a carnage out there. I mean, 80, 90% of small businesses typically fail. Someone will open up a restaurant, it'll fail. And there'll be a sign that says, we're no longer in business. They fail. They die. They are no more. God says, when you fail, and we're going to fail, where maybe majority of small businesses fail. The fact is every one of us fail in the sense that we die. All people fail. And when we fail, our riches fail with us. Two friends were talking. They were talking about a man that they knew that had just passed away, a very wealthy man. One had said to the other friend, I'll tell you one thing, that guy started out with just dollars in his bank account and he died a multimillionaire. The other friend said, no, he didn't. He said, no, he did. I'm telling you, this guy had millions when he died. And he said, no, he didn't. He died just like everybody else dies. He died just like, every, like a beggar died. It doesn't make any difference whether you have millions or whether you have pennies. The fact is, everybody fails. Everybody dies the same. We bring nothing into this world. And Job says it very clearly. We take nothing out with us. There's never yet been a trailer on the back of a hearse to drag it along. It doesn't go that way. Have you ever noticed uh, one of your products in your refrigerator or maybe on your shelf and it has a, an expiration date? They call that a use before date. And it'll have a little stamp on there. And sometimes I didn't realize how long we've had certain things. Like some of the spices we've had in our cabinet. I guarantee we've had there for 30 years. <laughs> and if there's a use before on those, well, I'm sure I'm going to die. But uh, money has a use before date on it. It really does. Because if you don't use it before you die, or if you don't use it before Jesus comes, it will not benefit you. In fact, it might hurt you. Jesus said, take your unrighteous mammon, that is, take the money, the resources you've been given, and redeem it by dedicating it to the things of God, by giving it to the house of God. God says to use money that Satan intends for your bad, for good. Build the kingdom of God. And as a result, the kingdom of God will be glorified and people will get saved. And then when you die, Jesus said, when you die, when you fail... They will receive you. There'll be this amazing welcoming committee. When you walk into heaven, they'll be saying, thank you. Thank you. Do you realize that when you get to heaven, there's going to be people from every walk of life. They're going to walk up to you and say, thank you for giving to the ministry of the home church. I was saved in Vanuatu. I was saved in Thailand. I was saved in China. I was saved in Mexico, all of these, and in Philippines, and over, and, and just in the, our community. The fact is, when we die and we walk into heaven, those who have been faithful givers, 
The Bible says people will receive us. And that's why God says that the riches of mammon are a means and not an end. Look at verse 13. He continues this concept. No man can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, notice the Holy Spirit tells us it's not hard to serve God and mammon. He didn't say, well, it's really a challenge. He said, it is impossible. You cannot serve the Spirit of God and the Spirit of mammon at the same time. That'd be like saying, I'm a Christian Satanist. Doesn't work. You're either one or the other. Mammon is the spirit of Antichrist. Do you know how the Antichrist is going to rule during the tribulation period? We know that there's, we have all these amazing prophecies in Scripture. You know how he rules? Did you know it's not the threat of nuclear war? It's not the threat of all the things that, you know, he might do to you? What's the one thing that the Antichrist is going to use to control the civilization? Money. He is going to use this symbol, the 666. They're not going to be able to buy and sell. Now, they may, you know, put a gun to your head. There may be other things. But the thing that's going to really get down inside of you is they're going to say, look, you will not be able to support your wife. You'll not be able to feed your family unless you take this mark. I mean, that's the way he does it. It is a spirit of antichrist. It is the spirit of mammon. Now, John tells us in the first epistle that the spirit of antichrist is already at work. He's trying to get us to bow our knee to mammon. He's trying to get us to bow our knee to this evil spirit and serve it and to worship it. But Jesus is saying, no, if you, if you bow your knee to money, you have given in to this spirit. There is a spirit on your money. And the goals are so opposite of the two. Mammon is looking for servants. Mammon wants you to look to it and not look to God. Ray Stedman, the... Uh, Bible scholar said this. He said, the emphasis in this verse is on the word and. You can't serve God and mammon. And that is, you cannot live, listen to this, you cannot live to make money and live to serve God at the same time. They don't work. I'm serving, you either have to choose to serve God or serve money. God or money. God or money. You cannot serve both at the same time. If your reason to live is to make more money because of what money can give you, then you have the spirit of mammon on your life. Now, there's nothing wrong with uh, making money or being rich or billionaires for that matter. But the proof that you love God first is that the money God gives you is only an instrument, a vehicle of your love to him. Think of this amazing family, the Green family. Steve Green and his wife and family own the well-known Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby is a $3 billion business a year. It is incredibly successful. They play Christian music in their buildings. They are not open on Sunday. They have a, a whole list of Christian values that they put into their business. They recently opened up in Washington, D.C., a school, excuse me, and museum of the Bible. They spent a half a billion dollars to put this building, hundreds of thousands of square feet, 
all with biblical artifacts and copies, early copies of Scripture and all about the translators. I mean, it's amazing. They spent $500 million plus to open this up. They use their money as an instrument of their love to God. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have buckets of money. But it is wrong when we try to serve it and God or we serve it. The Bible says it's impossible. You just use your money to glorify God. And that's the key to what God is saying here. It is a means and not an end. The second thing that Jesus says is that the riches of mammon are minor. Verse 10. And why don't you read that with me, please, all right? Verse 10, let's read it together. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Even at the best, riches of this world are minor league. God says if you can't use it faithfully and for the proper reason, then your show, you're controlled by a spirit the spirit of mammon. It is a prideful, arrogant spirit that tries to take the place of God. The spirit of mammon says, if you will worship me, I will give you significance and power. If you have the right car, if you have the right place you live, etc., you'll have happiness. All money has a spirit on it. Money submitted to God and his purposes has the spirit of God on it. Money not submitted to God has a spirit of mammon on it. The spirit of mammon is a demon. It is, a, it is the devil, really. Mammon promises everything and delivers nothing. Many people say, well, don't worry about me. I don't have enough money even to worry about. I mean, I don't need to worry about being faithful. I don't have anything to be faithful with. But notice what Jesus said in this verse. He said, if you are faithful with little, he that is faithful in that which is least then God pours out his blessing and gives us more enduring qualities like power and prayer and the scriptural knowledge and his anointing. And that's really this passage absolutely changed my life. And God talks about giving us more and true riches. Mammon can never deliver on its promise because it's only money. How important is money to you? That question was asked a couple of years ago in a study. They asked people if we were to give you $10 million, no strings of tax, no taxes, free and clear, $10 million, what would you be willing to do? $10 million. The results were tabulated in a book called The Day That America told the truth. Would you like to know what people said that they'd be willing to do for $10 million absolutely free and clear? 23%, excuse me, 25% said they would totally abandon their family if they would get $10 million. 23% they'd become a prostitute for a week. 16% indicated they would leave their spouse and yikes. 3% said they would put up their children for adoption. If you'll give me $10 million. Folks, it's only money. Unbelievable the concept that people have. That's the spirit of mammon. Money means everything. God said it's minor. Verse 3, or excuse me, the third fact. And that is not only are, are the riches of mammon our means and they are minor, but they are also misleading. Look at verse 11. 
If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? The riches of this world are so deceptive. Solomon, the wisest and richest man that ever lived, you have to laugh at the riches of some of these people. They're so, today who live, they're so rich, you, they couldn't spend their money if they spent millions a day. Men like Jeff, uh, was it Bezos or Bezos, the, the uh, founder of Amazon and uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and others. I mean, they're just, you, you can't imagine how much money they have. And yet, compared to Solomon, they are like paupers. It is estimated that Solomon was worth $2 trillion. He is the richest man who ever lived in any generation. He reigned for over 40 years. Each year he received 25 tons of gold. 25 tons of gold. Do the math, $2,000 an ounce. It's incredible. He, that's including everything that he received from his business and taxes, you name it. He, you can't even imagine how rich the man was. They, they said that during the reign of Solomon, silver was like dirt. It was so devalued. Look what Solomon said in Proverbs 23 and verse 5. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not a vapor? Riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle towards heaven. God said there's a built-in property to your money like a helium balloon. I mean, you got to keep that helium balloon from flying because it just has a natural property. It is going to rise. Helium is lighter than uh, the chemical substance in air, and it's just going to do that. The Bible teaches us that if we're not careful, our money is just, it, by its very nature, it just evaporates, it leaves us. And whatever mammon offers us is deceitful. Everything about the spirit of mammon is designed to make us lose our blessing from God. What are the manifestations that I have a spirit of mammon? There are at least three of them. First one is greed. There are some people who seven days a week worship at the altar of the dollar almighty, and it never ends. There are famous uh, comics who live today, comedians. Some of them are just absolutely hilarious. Most of them are pretty filthy. But back in the day when I was growing up, there was a particular comedian by the name of Jack Benny. Many of the people in my era and older, and maybe even a few others will remember Jack Benny. He was always portrayed as a skin flint. He was absolutely a tightwad, always hated to spend his money. Well, in one particular scene, he was accosted by a thief. The mugger points his gun at Jack Benny and said, come on, hand it over, your money or your life. And Jack Benny rubbed his chin and said, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> and most of us are the same way. And God is saying to us, worship me or worship your money. Make a choice. And we're saying, mm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about that. But God says that is a terrible thing to think about. The second manifestation is that of covetousness. When things become our idols. Howard Hendricks, the, who at once time was a great uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, prolific Christian author, one of my favorite authors, I love and speakers, Howard Hendricks tells the story of visiting in the home of a very wealthy Christian man 
from a blue blood family in Boston. He was very impressed, however, with the man's humility, his down-to-earth attitude. Dr. Hendricks asked the man, he said, how in the world could you grow up with such wealth and yet uh, not be affected and have such a humble attitude? And here's what the man told Dr. Hendricks. He said, you know, my dad always taught us that everything in this home is either a tool or an idol. The choice is ours. It's a tool or an idol. That car is a tool or an idol. Which is it? Is a tool to glorify God or an idol to be worshipped for what it is? There's a third manifestation of the spirit of mammon, and it is selfishness. Riches are either a blessing or a curse, depending how we use them. Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 26, again, Solomon says, God giveth to a man that is good. I love this passage. God gives to good people, generous people who pay it forward, like that lady in that pickup truck. God giveth to them sight, in his sight, wisdom, knowledge, and what? Joy. When we use our money for God, he gives us joy. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. He says, the true riches come by being faithful with our mammon. The concept of being faithful is found in the first eight verses. He calls a manager of their money stewards. That's where we get our term stewardship. Good stewardship means I need to manage the money that's God's his way. Some people say, well, pastor, I'll tell you one thing. If I was making a million dollars a year, I'd be happy to get 10% of my income. Well, the fact is, if we're not giving God, the first tenth on the 40,000 we are making, what, why do we think we're going to give them on a million? I mean, that's a, a lot of money. The problem is too many people are tippers rather than tithers. Now, it'd be, I guess, all right if you gave God as much as we give our waitress. Pretty shameful thing. We, give, we absolutely think it'd be terrible not to give a waitress 15%. That's pretty standard today, a waiter. Most people, frankly, the majority of Christians don't even come near giving 15% to God's work. I mean, it's a dollar here and a dollar there. It's crazy how people give to God. God says, give the first fruits. People say, does that mean leftovers? No, God says the first fruits. Most people pay all their bills and if they have anything left over, you know, we give it to God. Folks, that's a spirit of mammon. God can't have first place in our life if he has last place in our checkbook. People are true riches. And God says he will put to our account true riches. Heaven is being populated and hell is being plundered by our tithes and by our offerings. That's why giving is such a spiritual test. Because when people give, people get saved. Giving overcomes a spirit of mammon. What did Jesus do with the water? He turned it into wine. And it's a fact that Jesus, amen, um, Jesus, turned, Jesus turned the water into wine, and Jesus turns money into souls. That's what he does. He turns it right into souls. It's incredible. And if you don't think there's a spirit attached to money, do you know what the greatest majority of complaints is against a pastor or against a church? Do you have any idea what probably would be one of the biggest... Uh, criticisms that pastors and churches receive. You know what it's about? Money. 
It's a funny thing. I can preach about the Trinity and people will sit there thinking, amen, you know, that's nice. I can preach about prayer and boy, people will just be thrilled. But the second I mention tithing, the second I mention giving all of your income to God, I mean, people get blistered. I mean, I'll get emails. It's incredible. If you don't think there's a spirit attached to money, just be in my shoes. Go ahead and preach on tithing and watch that spirit come out. I mean, you can see it in people's eyes. It's like a flame in there. And that's why Jesus, that's why the religious in the, we're not going to talk about it, but if you read the rest of the chapter, the religious false teachers were livid. What are you doing talking about giving? I mean, they were just complaining. Now, why do you think there's so much controversy about giving? People say this, people say that. Really? That's your issue? That's your point? I mean, folks, tithing should be so minimal. I mean, it should be such a basic part of your life that you should never worry about giving the tent. It'll be far more than that. Just what's the point of all this? You know why Satan loves it when people get all caught up in all the stuff and, well, I don't think you have to give. I don't think you have to do that. Why? Listen closely. Because when we get, when we give to God's word, we give to his work, and we, when we build the kingdom of God, souls get saved. Satan hates souls. That's his absolute key is to keep as many people out of heaven as he can. And he hates giving for that reason because money turns into souls. Jesus takes that water, turns it into wine, and he takes money and turns it into souls. It is misleading. Now, the riches of mammon are also managed. Look at verse number 12. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? The riches of this world are another man's. They're God's. His title to our money is both prior and superior to ours. Our money is from another, it is for another, and it is never ours. Did you hear that? Our money is never ours. But spiritual riches are, and they never can be taken from us. They're the only things we can truly call our own. They're the only things we carry with us to heaven. The Spirit of God is on the money that has been submitted to the Lord and His purposes. There is a spirit on all money. That lady who so uh, generously uh, gave to us and those who give to His kingdom, the Bible puts a blessing on your money. Now, if I was to ask you this morning to take out a dollar bill and I know some of the younger generation don't even have dollars in their pocket. They have iPhones and cards, but uh, some still have dollar bills in their pocket. If you were to take out a dollar bill and hold it in your hand, that dollar bill either has the spirit of God on it or the spirit of man. And there is a demonic spirit, there is a curse attached to it, or there's a blessing. Now, when it comes to the spirit, we need to understand we will never get rid of the spirit of mammon. It is a lifelong battle because Satan is not going to be ever gone until he is cast into the lake of fire. So how do you overcome it? We don't get rid of it. We don't manage it. Be like trying to manage a, a tiger. You just don't manage it. You overcome it. And that's what it says in Revelation 12 verse 11. During the tribulation period, how is it that Christians who didn't get saved during the tribulation period, but get born again during the tribulation, how do they overcome Antichrist? How do they get through that tribulation period? 
Look at verse 11 of Revelation 12. They overcame the devil. They overcame Satan. They overcame that spirit of mammon by the blood of the Lamb and by the Word of God, the book, and their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. That is, they were unashamed and unselfish about their lives. They laid it down. I think you could say it this way. They overcame through the blood, through the book, and through their bequests. They gave their life to the kingdom of God. Now, folks, the spirit of God and the spirit of mammon talk to us. The spirit of mammon is a spirit of this world. It is a spirit that rests upon what we have. But God wants to put his spirit on our money. He wants us to get things right and set things right. All of the money that is in our account has either the spirit of God on it or the spirit of mammon. The only way I know to do is to absolutely make the choice. Am I going to serve God or serve money? Serve God or serve money? There's nothing wrong with being rich. I mean just crazy rich. As long as it is an instrument to love God and to extend the kingdom of God. It's not about how many things I can get or what, you know, just, just be thankful and use it and whatever lifestyle God gives you, amen, I'm good with it. But I want to use everything about my life for his honor and glory. Wouldn't it be amazing if we get all the blessings of God and turn all the things that he gives us into our hand and we get all these riches, we get joy and we get anointing on our teaching and preaching and our dealing with others, we get power in prayer. All that comes by just yielding our resources. Now, if you're here this morning and you have had any kind of, you know, you're pulling back from what I'm saying, you're kind of giving me the side eye, you're kind of thinking about what this is, or maybe you're a little bit uh, irritated, I'm bringing up money, then let me tell you something and listen closely, just so you don't misunderstand. You are being affected by the spirit of mammon. How do I know? Because the Bible is very clear. Anybody who has a problem with giving to the kingdom of God has the spirit of mammon. It's, they're being affected. Look, if I was to get up here and preach on prayer, you would be going, yes, I need to do that. That's so exciting, man. I need to do that. But if you start preaching about giving and it bothers you, that's a, that's a, that should be a flag. That should be a red flag. Hey, I'm, I've got the spirit of mammon effect in me because I have this concept, it's my money. The steward came and said, here, it's the master's money. And the master said, what are you doing? It has never been your money, dude. It has always been mine. What are you doing with that which I is mine? Folks, Get it into our spirit. Every penny we have is not ours. It's never been ours. It is always God's. And to use it for, and God doesn't mind us using it for, it's like the steward. I don't mind that you use it to make things work. I don't mind that you take care of your family, but it's never yours. It's just a, you get some wages, you get some re. Uh, recompense for what you're doing, that's fine, but it's always been mine. It's never been yours. You, you don't have the right to use it like you want. 
Because if you do, you're allowing the spirit of mammon to come on you. And that's here what this whole thing is talking about. It is talking about making sure that we overcome it. You can't overcome it by saying, well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to start giving a dollar this week, and two dollars next week. No, you break it. You break that spirit. You overcome it by the blood. Number one, you get saved. How do they overcome in the tribulation? They overcome by the blood of Jesus. I got saved. And then number two, they overcome by the word, the book. We overcome by quoting scripture. And then third, we lay down our life. We lay down our life. It's no longer mine. God, this car is yours. This house is yours. My job is yours. Everything I have is yours. I am grateful that somewhere along the line, and I only say this as a testimony, I am grateful somewhere along the line, the Lord just made me realize, maybe, maybe because we didn't really ever have much, but honestly, growing up and then even as a married family, and even now at this point, honestly, it's just all God's, whatever it is. I mean, honestly, I just, it's good. I just, I'm grateful for every blessing, I'm grateful for every nice thing that we get, every good place we get to go or whatever, but you know what? It's all of it absolutely is God's. And none of it's ours. It's all God's. I just want to I want to make sure that when I die, those things receive me. People will come up and say, Tim, thank you. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for giving your life like you did. I read a testimony of John Piper this week. John Piper is a great American Christian novelist and, and author of Christian books and a great Bible teacher. And... Uh, Maybe not agree all the things he says, but I tell you what, a great, great man of God. But he tells the story of when he sat beside his father's deathbed. And as I read it, honestly, I just uh, warm tears of just sweetness just streamed down my face. Because to me, it was like, that's what I'm talking about. That's the way you finish this thing. His father, a Christian man, a Bible teacher, lay there dying, and John Piper kept a vigil at his bedside, praying Bible texts into his father's ears and pleading with Jesus just to come and to take his father home. When his father finally stopped breathing, he thanked God and began to sing, my gracious master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. He later sat down and journaled what happened after his father died. He said after his father died, he laid his hands on his dad and prayed this prayer. Daddy, many thousands await you because of your proclamation of the great gospel. You were faithful. Thank you, Dad, for 61 years of faithfulness to me. You prayed for me. You supported me. And I look you in the face right now. And I promise you with all my heart, 
I will never forsake your gospel. I rededicate myself, Dad, to serve my great and glorious Jesus with all my heart and with all my strength. You have not lived in vain. Your life goes on, and I am glad to be one of them. I kissed him on his cold cheek, and I said, Dad, I love you. I want to live just like you. This morning, if you are not tithing, friend, just mark it down. The spirit of mammon has just snuck in. You have a desire to get stuff rather than God. That's the beginning place of getting set free. You don't just, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve money. You just need to serve God. And my money is just a way to express my love to God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.